Well, we are in part two of our series um, that we're simply calling 30,000 Feet. Last week was a machine gun message. And um, if you need to like try to get it all in, you can listen to it on our website or get it from the podcast or watch it in our archives. Um, but in that, we were looking at the big picture. Well, honestly, we started in Genesis and went all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and looked at the whole big picture of what this thing that we call time is all about. That mankind's existence from day one of creation all the way to this forward-looking thing that, that uh, John the Revelator gets at a glimpse of, that God wanted a family. That God created humanity in his image and he wanted a bunch of us to know him and to be a part of his life and he wanted a big family. A big family. You think the Clarks have a big family with number seven on the way. God has a much bigger, wants a much bigger family than that. And so, talking a big family. And we look all the way then to Revelation and we see there in the presence of God, <clears throat> the Bible refers to it not as a crowd. It refers to it as a sea of humanity, a sea of people, so big that no one can number it. That means that it's not this, this thing that just a handful of people make it, folks. There's so many people you can't even put a number on it are in the presence of God. His work in our lives, he's reaching millions and millions and billions and billions of people. And so um, we are looking at that. And this is part two in that deal. We looked at the big plan. Now we're going to look at how it happened. We talked about Jesus. We talked about his role. But today we're going to look at this concept of grace. So let's go ahead and get your notes open. So, <clears throat> so we have a big God with a big plan to have a big family. And this, this is just the truth. If we don't see the big picture, then we will miss the big part that we should play. If you don't recognize how, the, how just every person you come in contact with is on God's big picture plan, you won't realize that you can play a big role in the, in the connectivity with that. You know, as I'm getting older, I haven't gone to the place of having my eyes checked yet. But I can tell I'm getting close. So I used to never have a problem with my iPhone right here. And now I have my iPhone right here. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to get longer arms pretty soon. So I can do this if I'm going to continue to avoid not having glasses. If it's up here close, man, I'm just like, ah, I don't like this. Never had to wear glasses in my life. And, um, but that concept of, of being able to step back and see, th see things from a little bit bigger distance. One of our uh, teens is in the process of being a part of the Civil Air Patrol, and he wants to become a pilot. And I got my pilot license years ago and have been earthbound for entirely too long. It's been a long time since I've been up. Um, but I was talking to him about just the joy of flying and how it's just, just nothing like it. And he said, yeah, it's awesome. He said, and you also get to see that Texas is really brown. I was like, sadly, yes. Yes, you do. It is really brown. And we can look in our yards and look around and see that. But when you get up to that altitude, you're like, wow. Wow, this is a big deal. This is what we're doing with, with the Bible. We're wanting to get up and not just be tied up in the details of our own life and in our own 
the, the stitching of our own story in this big embroidery, big tapestry God is doing. We want to look at it from the big picture. And today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself. He wasn't making himself available for reconciliation. Like that thing in junior high where the two little people are mad at each other and they're like, well, I, I, you know, if they want to say they're sorry, I'm standing right here. You can go let them know. I, I, we can work this out. I'm standing right here. That's not what God did. God didn't send a big message saying, guess what, humanity? If you want to get it straight, I'm right here. I'm open to the thought. No, he wasn't making himself available to reconciliation. That would have been awesome. That would have been all. We were dead in our trespasses. We were away from God and jacked up without hope in the world. That would have been awesome. But that would have still required all of this stuff that we just couldn't do. So God was in. <clears throat> God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He did the work. He did it. He reconciled us to himself. And the gospel, the good news is us going, guess what? The work is done. It's not, guess what? God, you can come to God if you want to. It's no, it's guess what? God came to you in Jesus and the work is done. Do you believe it? That's the gospel. That's it. The work is done. Do you believe it? He's not counting people's sins against them already. It's not, you come to him, you play his game, you jump through all the little hoops, and then, all right, I'm going to kick him off, I'm going to not count him against you now. No, the truth is, the gospel, the good news is, is that he's not counting men's sins against them in Christ. That's the good news. You step into Christ and forgiveness is all that there exists. This is the truth. This is the big picture. And he is committed to us. The message of reconciliation. As soon as we become aware of this and we become partakers of it, we're like, wow, I believe it. It resonates within everything that I am, that that's what happened, that that's what Jesus was doing, and I believe it. And I step over from death to life. Then now we have that message that we can tell people, guess what? You can step over from death to life. Just like I did. That's why we don't have to have our lives perfectly straight before we tell people about the miracle God did for us. Now, if we're going to try to paint the picture of how awesome we've done to earn God love, then yeah, we've got to get everything straight. But that's not what this is about. This is about that God loved us so much where we were that we tell people, wow, can you believe he took me the way I am? Can you believe that he's going to work on the inside of me via himself? Via the Holy Spirit. He's not going to coach at me from the sidelines and throw things from heaven and say, do this better. Change this about yourself. He's going to come right on the inside and make the work himself. <laughs> How awesome is that? How awesome. It changes everything. Because see, God understood this truth that for any family to stay together, any family, any family to stay together. Remember, he was building a big family. That's what Genesis to Revelation picture is, is he's wanting a big family. And for any family to stay to together, it requires a continual flow of forgiveness. A continual flow of forgiveness. 
Why continual flow? Because we will continually offend and violate the principles of love. And forgiveness comes in and brings things back. It requires a continual flow of forgiveness. In our relationship with God, stay a part of the family, it requires a continual flow of forgiveness. That's why he provided a continual flow, a continual environment of forgiveness. This is imperative that we understand this. Otherwise, we'll think, okay, I've, I've, I've lived my life, I've been an idiot, I've done all these dumb things. Man, I recognize that I've hurt myself and I've hurt others and I've built up this great big old debt of sin and I bring it to Jesus and then he whoosh, takes care of it and then says, all right, now you better take it from here on. <laughs> We're going to see how big our forgiveness is. How big it is. How big it is. Because it encompasses everything we've ever done, everything we've thought about doing, everything we're ever going to do, everything we could have done. It encompasses it all. And is that a little bit nerve-wracking? Yep, it is. And we're going to get to that. We must see the bigness of our forgiveness in Christ. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I see this as this picture of a hand within a hand. Like they're in my hand and I'm in his hand. And ain't nobody getting them out. If you're freaked out today about maybe not doing everything just right and slipping out of the grace of God, good news. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We're connected with belief, not with action. We're connected with belief. Now, does belief eventually produce a new kind of action? Absolutely. But it's not based on action-oriented. It's based on us connecting with God. Romans 8, we did a whole series a couple of years ago on this chapter alone. But let's look at verse 34. It says, who then is going, who then is the one who condemns? Who then? He's talking to believers. Who then is the one who condemns? Do any of us ever kind of get under condemnation? Feel like we've blown it a little bit? Yeah. Is that, who is the one that does that? Who's the one that brings this? It's not God. It says, no one, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. <laughs> He's interceding. He's reminding God. Yeah, Brandon's a knucklehead, but he's, but he's with me, God. He's with me. He's in me. And it's covered. It's covered. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for, for your sake, we face all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And the answer to that is, can anything separate us from the love of God? Is here in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of his love, he has set us up as more than conquerors. He goes on to say, I am convinced. He doesn't say, I'm th I think. I want you today to be like Paul and to be convinced. I want you to be convinced. 
I am convinced that neither death nor life. I've heard it said that it's one thing to, to muster up some courage to, and to die for something you believe in. Maybe even to die in standing up for, for our faith in, in, in Christ. But how much harder can it be for us sometimes to feel like that it's difficult for us to live in that? That it doesn't take one great moment of courage, but it takes a continual life of laid before God and saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to live for you. And sometimes that can be as intimidating as anything. But can that separate us from him? Nope. Can the intimidation of having to live a life as a believer separate us from him? Nope. Neither angels nor demons. Oh man, pastor, there's just all sorts of the, the, the devils coming after me and all this kind of stuff and I'm just fighting all these battles. Maybe so. This, the spirit realm is real, folks. We read it all through the New Testament. It's real. There are principalities and powers. Guess what? Our God is just greater than them all so we don't have to walk around in fear. But it doesn't make them not real. And doesn't make them not have assignments. And then I mean that we don't stand on the authority and the freedom that we have in Christ. We do those things. But can those things come against us? No. Neither the present nor the future. That's why His grace reaches all the way to the future and covers everything dumb you might ever do. Not even the future is going to jack you up. Nor any powers, neither height nor depth. And just in case you wanted to fabricate something else that might separate you from the love of God, Paul put in here, nor anything else in all creation. Boom. Just in case you wanted to find something. <clears throat> will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our forgiveness is huge. It is mind-blowing huge. And He won it for us. He has made us more than conquerors. I have shared this story six or seven times and I just have no other story that communicates how much, how this works better than this story. So if you've heard it before, just tolerate it, alright? Because nothing communicates as well as this. But I have shared with you before that I am not athletic, okay? I'm not. And I'm... Um, so I'm not coordinated. I can't do all of those different eye-hand things. But growing up, man, my dad could not wait for me to play baseball. Clark men play baseball. They're good at baseball. When, when my grandfather passed away, he was still pitching. I mean, they just, Clark men play baseball. I have a cousin that played, that grew up here in San Angelo. He played baseball all through high school until he graduated. I mean, they just play baseball. So my dad gets me in to baseball, little league. And I am not excited about this. I don't want to play this game. But my dad signs me up and I'm going to play this game and my dad's excited about it and we do batting practice and he hits me in the head with the ball and, and all these things and it's because I just, he's, watch the ball, Brandon. Bang! Okay, sometimes you gotta dodge the ball, Brandon. And so, oh, I need to know that piece of information too. And, um, and so, but my team that I got on, by, by some miracle, I get on a team with these super stud brother athletes. This Case brother, Stony and Stormy Case. And I got a picture I want to show you. Stony and Stormy. I pulled this off the internet. This is, this is legit stuff here. You know, nothing lies on the internet. Here's Stony Case. That's him. His card. That's actually a picture. I just bought that on eBay. I'm expecting it. Two dollars. Got signed. 
signed card by Stony Case himself. That'll be, uh, I'll be able to show it to you next time I bring this story up, because I will. And, um, but anyways, he obviously played quarterback for the Cardinals. He played quarterback for a lot of different teams. He led Permian to state championship undefeated. ESPN claimed that team as the best football team, high school football team in the entire nation. They were qualified as national champions that year. If you've seen Friday Night Lights, that was about the 88 team. He, co- he led the 89 team to state this guy's on my Little League team. He's drafted in the third round in 95. He plays for Indianapolis Colts. He played for the Baltimore Ravens. He played for the Detroit Lions. The guy's no joke. Set records in college. I mean, just, he's no joke. His little brother, who's my age, is on his team. He leads 91 Permian team undefeated state title that year as well. He's recruited out of a, to play at A&M. Plays uh, quarterback at A&M um, for f- letters for four years at the quarterback position at A&M and then goes into business and stuff, doesn't go to the NFL. But these guys are no-joke athletes, okay? I just want you to paint the picture, okay? All right? I, thankfully, there's no actual documentation of my prowess on the field, so I got online and I found a close similar. And this is what I would have looked like <laughs> on that team. Some unknown child is portraying me. And uh, that, that's, that's Brandon Clark on the, on the baseball field, okay? I got these super studs destined for athletic fame. And, and, um, and then there's that on the field together. And they stick me, I still don't remember, is it right field that nobody in Little League hits to? Thank you. They stick me in that field, okay? And I'm over there, and everybody just hopes, you can take that down now. And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, and uh, you know, everybody just hopes that pretty much the game happens and nothing comes my way. That's what everybody's goal is. And uh, so I have to go through the batting lineup, and, I, and, I, and uh, I, I strike out. I don't get on base at all. Nothing good happens for me in that game. And so I, I play all these different games. Finally, one game, I'm out in my field, and crack. And just the way they hit it, I just knew. It just, boom, goes over the infield, hits the ground. It's coming right at me. I wanted to run screaming. I mean, I wanted to run the other direction. And so, but my dad's watching, and he'd have got mad. And so the ball's coming. It hits the ground. It's a grounder. I don't even have to field it in the air. It's a grounder coming on the ground. And I'm sitting there, and I'm scared. And I line up, and I stick my glove on the ground. And I don't even know if I watched it hit my glove. But it landed in my glove. It was there. It was awesome. And I picked it up. And I threw it in field. I threw it the right direction. I don't know if I threw it to first base, second base. I don't know who I threw it to. I just hurled it with all I could. And, and maybe it made it there. I don't know. And, uh, and so we play that game. We, we smoke them because we've got studs like the Case Brothers. We win the game. And afterwards, they're sitting there and they've got the game ball. And they're going to give out the game ball. Well, the Case Brothers, they hit home runs, played pitcher and first base. They got outs. They did all sorts of cool stuff. And the coach sits there and says, Brandon, we want to give you the game ball. Because I did my one thing right. 
And they knew that there was probably the whole season was not going to be another opportunity <laughs> to give me the game ball. And they hand me the game ball, and I was like, yes! Yes! And I kept it in a prized place in my room for years, and it was the, it was my game ball. Now, did I win that game? No. Did that stop even create an out? No. There was nothing that hinged on what I did. I didn't have to do anything perfect. I just had to do my one little thing part and recognize that it was coming my way and receive it. That's all I had to do. And all these other studs did it all. They knew I could never get the game ball on my own. So all these studs did the work for me. And I got the game ball on my own. That is what salvation is all about. We are more than conquerors. I did not conquer at that game. I didn't. They did it. But I got the game ball. I walked out there more than a conqueror. I had the benefits. I had all of that came with it. You have to understand that. You have to think that, man, I'm sitting there, I'm going to have to pull my weight in this Christian world. If Jesus did all this, I'm going to have to step my game up and I'm going to have to be like Jesus. I'm going to have to do all this stuff that I see all these super Christians doing. No, to be a part of the family. Listen to me. You have to recognize that he knows that there is no way we could do this on our own. And he did all the work for us. And he sent it straight our way and all we have to do is receive it. We really do. That really is it, folks. That really is it. Is there all sorts of glorious stuff that comes after that, that the Holy Spirit does in us? Absolutely. But it is based on the work Jesus did, not on the work we do. They didn't look at me and say, Brandon, you stunk the next week. Give us that game ball back. <laughs> Brandon, you blew it. I, we want our game ball back. You're not, you, we're not honoring you anymore. No. No. I can't, it was mine. They did it for me. That is what makes us more than conquerors. That is what makes us more than conquerors because it is so done. It is so done. It can't be unconquered. He conquered it completely. 1 Peter 4 eight says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Not most sin, not a lot of sin, a multitude of sin. That's why the scripture everybody knows is, For God so loved the world. That he sent his son. Because we were jacked up and messed up and there was no way we could do it on our own. And his love covered a multitude of sin. See, the forgiveness provided in Christ is so big. It's so big that we can get uncomfortable with it if we do not view it through the lens of love. In fact, Paul had to do some writing with this because you can say, huh, oh, wow, wow, hmm, this grace is big. It reaches to everything. Everything I did do, everything I might do. Oh, what does this mean? That I can kind of get away with some stuff? That I can just kind of be an idiot again if I want to? Let's look at this. Romans 6, verses 1. What shall we say? He's just painted a beautiful picture. Romans is all about grace. Romans is a grace-dripping book. But guess what, folks? It mentions the word sin 48 times. He talks about sin more in Romans than he does in any other, in any other of his works. Paul's writings. Why is he talking about sin in that? Because he wants us to understand that it was conquered. It's always in the place of redefining it and letting us know that it's beaten, it's beaten, that grace triumphs. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died 
to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Sin is not because he, it breaks the rules. He set that up because it hurts us and it hurts others. And he sets us free from that destructive pattern of constantly hurting ourselves and constantly hurting people we care about. And so he's like, why would you want to go live in that any longer? We now have the freedom to pursue a life in him without fear that somehow sin is going to bring death with it again. No, we're, we're alive in Christ. And now we can pursue the relationship not based on fear of sin, but based on love and love alone. Romans 6, he brings it up again. For sin shall no longer be your master. You have been liberated from it. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. We live in grace in Christ. That's where we live. That's, that's the realm we operate in. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law? But under grace? No. Why would you want to be liberated from some oppressive master of sin and say, oh God, I'm liberated, but now, is there anything I, you'd like me to do for you? Can I serve you a little bit more? I know I'm free from you, but I just thought, you know, you know we've had a long-term relationship here and I just want to do something. I want to get to understand a little bit more. It destroys everything, but it's just kind of what I want to do. No, that's just dumb. We are freed from it. We have a new master. It is God himself and it lives in a realm not of law but of grace. It changes everything. Now remember, everything comes down to loving God and to loving others. Loving God and loving others. Now I want you to get your mind wrapped around this. That to, to, for us in Christ, under grace, for us to have the mentality that we need to do right so that we can avoid punishment... Okay, Because so many times we think, oh, God's going to get you. No, no, no. It's, we're under love and we're under grace. Even if that system, even if God was going to try to use that system, look at how, how foolish this is. It is contrary to loving God and loving others. That to do right so that we can avoid punishment is the most self-centered form of religion. If I'm going to treat you right because of what I get out of it, who am I loving? I'm loving myself. I'm, all my motivations are about me. Does that help me grow in loving God and loving others? No. That is self-centered and it is narcissistic. And the reason, the, the reason that so much teaching and people who mean well come back to this is because it's, they, it's more about controlling external behavior than it is about embracing the new, newness of life. And that new life will, in time, change our external behavior. It will. It will. We did not get born again into a self-centered, narcissistic way of interacting with God and others. We got released to love for love's sake. To love for love's sake. See, this doesn't promote, the other way doesn't promote loving God and loving others. It promotes doing nothing but taking care of yourself. See, religion that tries to tap our narcissistic, self-promoting, ungodly tendencies to try to produce godliness is attempting an impossible task. As I'm looking at this, I saw it as nothing but religious alchemy. That's all it is. 
is trying to, alchemists try to take lead and turn it to gold. And all they're doing is trying to take a broken system of being self-centered and somehow make us turn it into loving others. That is religious alchemy. It is jacked up. It is messed up. It is wrong. Only in a place of love, only in a place of full forgiveness, full grace, can we dare to embrace loving for love's sake. That's the only place we can. That's the only place we can. I love my wife with everything within me. And would she get crazy upset with me if I decided to have a wandering eye? Absolutely, she would. She would. You know my wife, you know she would. But I don't keep things in check in my mind and in my heart because I'm afraid of her. I don't do it because I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid of punishment or retribution. I do it because I love her. And I just there's just no way I, I could want to hurt her that way. Love brings so much more restraint than punishment ever could. Look at our legal system. We've got more laws on the books than ever. We've got more people behind bars than we've ever in the history, and it's growing at an exponential rate. And is it making a difference at all? No. Because it doesn't change the heart. It doesn't. See, we're created for a relationship with God, so sin is easily defined as anything that interferes with the growth of that relationship. I hear ladies talk about, well, I'm a golf widow, which means their husband golfing all the time she never gets seen. Or this time of the year, I'm a hunting widow. No, all they're, they're chasing after the does and bucks and all that stuff, and I'm left alone all by myself. Or I'm also this time of the year, I'm a football widow. He's in front. He watches every, uh, every game on TV, and I can't have any conversation with my husband. Is there anything wrong with football or hunting or golf or any of those things? No. What's wrong is when they get in the way of the relationship. That's why we can't reduce things to a list. We can't reduce things to a list. And Paul and the Holy Spirit redefine sin for us in this new realm. Romans 14.23 And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Anything that does not come from walking in a relationship with Him, knowing and trusting Him, that breaks our relationship. Even if on the outside, if you'd go, man, Brandon's doing a good thing. If I should be doing something else, and I'm, dis I'm pushing God out of my life, that is unproductive and unhealthy. It's a heart issue. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, Jesus took the penalty for sin so that our lives could be about knowing God and trusting Him, not so that we could <clears throat> live to meet a list of rules and obligations. It took the rules and obligations off, either paid for, are you going to jack them up sometimes? Yes. That's, that, that's a done deal in Jesus. Now we just say, God, I just want my relationship. I just want it about relationship. And now we're free to really grow. And guess what? We'll look up and we're loving God and we're loving others. 
We're doing more of what we should have done all along. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. I know it seems like a real humble thing, and it's said in a lot of circles. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We were sinners, and we were saved by grace. But now in here, the Bible refers to us as the righteousness of God. He sees us as that. We don't live our lives from a sin mentality or a sin perspective at all. We live it from a, that we are free to love and grow in Him, and that changes everything. 1 Corinthians 3, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. Our lives and our relationship with God are built on that, on Jesus. If any man builds on, an, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, all good stuff, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. That D, capitalized, is the day when we stand before God. That day. The day will bring it to light. If what he has built... We'll bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. What we've done. How we've, how we've interacted with each other. The things we've done with our life. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. That's awesome. So what's going to survive the fire? The gold, the silver, the costly stone. What's not going to survive? The wood, the hay, and the stubble. That stuff's going to get burnt up and it's going to be gone. Now look at this. Verse 15 if it, is, if it is burned up, that means all of it. Everything that they've done, everything you did with your whole life, didn't stand up. You just lived a selfless life. You, nothing was done in love, motivated by love. It's all burned up. He will suffer loss. Loss of what? A potential reward. But he himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the flame. We're still, this person is in Christ and they do nothing. This verse 15 guy does nothing of eternal consequence with his relationship with God at all. And he's still in heaven. This is not about saying yes to Jesus and doing it right on the other side. We've said it before and I'll say it again. Grace is not a do-over. Oh, I'll give you a second chance. You can try to do it right this time. No, grace is a be-over. We were dead and now we get to be new creations. And we're different on the other side of grace. It changes everything. The stuff that is wood, hay, and straw is simply stuff. That's not life-giving. Jesus came to give life and give it more abundantly. That is simply, it's stuff that's not life-giving. Titus 2, 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace teaches us if you are trying to interact with god by trying to be good enough and to do it just right you will end up in a broken messed up place but if you will embrace grace it will bring around 
all these things you thought all your hard work was going to get you to. It's only by grace that it changes. See, when we see the big picture, we can understand what God is doing in our own lives and be able to live the life that is truly life. God wants a big family. And he created and gave a big forgiveness so that we can live motivated by nothing but love. Nothing but love. John says that perfect love casts out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. In Christ, we are in perfect love. He is not looking to bring a place of punishment. Correction and punishment are not the same thing. I steer my car and correct it all the time. Rarely do I get out and kick it. Kicking it is punishment. Steering it is correcting it. God doesn't kick us. He'll direct us with the Holy Spirit. He'll correct us. But He's not there to punish. It changes everything. This morning I want us to have a moment where we understand what is here. I want everybody to just kind of be quiet, close their eyes, create a quiet moment. And maybe this is revolutionary to you. Maybe you thought that living this life in, in God was about saying, oh, thank you for forgiving me of all the dumb stuff I've done. And man, I'm just really going to toe the line from here. And you've been frustrated by your own failure over and over and over again. And I want you to have freedom from that this morning. God wants you to have freedom from that this morning. He doesn't want you to try to interact with Him on that level ever again. He wants you to interact with Him from a place of love. He's made it where all you have to do is think about love. That's it. Loving Him and loving others. That's it. That's it. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brandon, I'm understanding the completeness of the grace of God, and I want to say yes to that. I've avoided this because I said, I thought you, everybody wanted me to be able to live by religious code. And I recognize that Jesus did the work, and I want to say yes, I believe He died and He paid the price. And if you're here and you want to say yes to that, then I want that. Raise your hand, and we want to pray with you.